There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Give your Bibles, I want you to take them to Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one. We'll look at the final verse in that chapter and we'll bridge over to chapter number two next week. Really been enjoying this series in Jonah. To be honest with you, it's, it's just taking the spotlight and putting it on my own life. On my own rebellions, on my own hang-ups and problems. And, and God has been gracious and merciful to teach me so much from these messages so far. And we've not even, we've not even gotten through the first chapter. And so I want you to stand in honor and reverence of God's Word. Jonah chapter number 1. And we'll look at one verse of Scripture. And man, it's a big one. I'm not talking about in length. Man, what a fish story. <laughs> Jonah chapter 1, and look at verse number 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, the faithful fishing of the Father. The faithful fishing. Fishing of the Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we love you. God, I am so glad that you've not weakened one bit. Father, we in our human bodies, as we grow older, we grow weaker. Our eyes weaken. Our ears weaken. Our body becomes more frail with the years. God, you are not like us. Yes, we're stamped with your image, but God, your power only increases. You only become greater. You are, uh, you are the unchangeable force in this universe. God, you are a being that is so far outside of us and above us, we can't fathom you. Thank you that you do not change. And Father, the same power that has been witnessed by your word down through the centuries of the church God, I pray it would be the same today. As Jonah, back in Jonah, when he retold his story to others and how they marveled at God. May that same marvel come upon upon us this morning. By the same power of God, through His Word. Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. God, convict the lost sinner. May Holy Spirit conviction fall in such a degree that they'll not be able to budge. Their minds won't be able to be preoccupied with something else. They'd stay hung and focused on your word. And they would come to know Jesus. And God, I pray for, their, for those here in this room that are running. Running from you. Running, running from what is right. Running from your call. Running from your, your, your precepts, Father. God, I pray you'd halt them in their tracks. God, do the same for me. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Earlier this week, Evan and I just took off for a few moments in the evening and went fishing. I'm not one for much for fishing. And so 
uh, uh, we went, but we went fishing, and we proved something that I can catch a fish. Amen. I caught a brim about that long, but I caught a fish. Up until that point, I don't think I, I, I count on my hand the number of times I've actually caught a fish while going fishing. But as we as we went to that fishing that, that evening, just for a short time, just to just to stick a pole in there a few times and talk a little bit, I. I seem to remember one of the first times that my dad took me fishing. I've taken my boys fishing before, don't get me wrong, but my mind went back to that time. My dad had bought me and my sister a shellacked cane pole from a store. It had these bushings that you could put it together, and you could take it apart and fit it in the car, and you could put it, pull it apart. And I remember we went down to my wealthy and kind of eccentric relative of ours that that had the idea that he was going to be he's going to bring horse racing to Wildwood, Georgia. Well, it never took off, but he had one heck of a lake in the middle of that of that horse of that horse track, and he stopped it full of fish. and And I remember us going down there and sticking that cane pole in that water, and I seem to recall maybe catching my first fish, like the one the other day. It was a tiny brim. I haven't progressed that much as a fisherman. A tiny little brim. Now, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not much of a fisherman. I don't have a great affinity for fishing. But I love my dad. And I remember being there with him. And as we, this may be the Father's Day message. It should come next week. It just happens to fall today. But I love my dad. And, and I, as I stood there with my son Evan. All that love that I had for my dad seemed to just come upon me as I looked to my son. And I looked at my son and, and I looked at him with love and, and affection. I didn't get all mushy-gushy on him at the, at, on the bank there. But my heart was just filled with a, a love for him. And I, I, I often I'll say it in my mind. You know, I love Evan. I love Grace and I love my kids, my boys, my daughters and I need to go. I need to go fishing with them more often. That's my, that's my thing. That's what I'll say. I need to go. I don't go fishing near enough with them, as if there is some sort of connection between having a fishing pole and standing on the bank of a river and loving my sons. There's some kind of connection with fishing with with your sons. I, I don't know what does anybody understand what I'm saying here. This we're trying to communicate. That there is an expression of love shared in that little moment on the bank trying to catch a fish. There are a thousand other ways to spend time with your children, don't get me wrong. But for me, fishing with them is that great expression of love for them that, uh, uh, that I, I all too often don't get to say enough. Now, you really may be wondering why I'm sharing this mushy story about fishing with you. Well, to be honest, verse 17, if, if personally experienced by me or you, might be one of the most horrifying verses in the Bible. I mean, try to imagine it if you will. Maybe you've been in a cramped space before under a house or, or doing different things. You've been in a cramped tight space. Imagine if it was the gut of an animal. Uh -huh. It's nothing more smelly than the gut of an animal. And you're trying to find pockets of air to breathe in a midnight of, 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 of stomach acid. 
in the bottom of the sea. No, no. This would not be your finest hour, so to speak. But I don't, but I don't want you to miss one aspect of this verse. And once again, we've seen uh, expressed before us the depth of the love of the Lord. We've called this series Into the Heart of the Lord. Because I believe time and time again, we see the depths of God's heart of His love. And just as a father in love might go fishing with his sons, so this expression, expression we find in verse 17, the Lord expresses His love by fishing for His servant. Same similar scenario. There is an expression of love here that we cannot afford to miss. The account contained in this verse is more about the faithfulness of Jehovah than it means about the punishment of Jonah. It says something about God's persistent love. That He will not stop. That He will go to the ends of the earth or the depths of the sea to bring us unto Himself. There's no doubt that these three days and three nights in the belly of that fish was not like staying at the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> he didn't look well, well refreshed when he was puked out on the shores nearest to Nineveh. Don't get me wrong. But they are better than being fish food at the bottom of the sea. I mean, listen, Jonah could have been dead. He could have drowned. God could have turned his back and say, forget you, Jonah. I'll find somebody more willing than you. You're not worth the trouble it is taking to get your attention. No, that's not our God. <laughs> he does whatever He can to get our attention. To bring us to that place where we have, where God has our undivided attention. I want us to look at this verse and find the aspects of God's faithfulness, not only to Jonah, but I want you to see it to you. I want you to see God's faithfulness in your life as we look at this. Every person in this room can recognize the faithfulness of God as, as he goes fishing for Jonah by laying hold of five characteristics of God found in this one single verse. I want you to look at five things and then we'll leave. Number one, I want you to see first of all the moment of God's intervention. Now the previous verses, in the previous verses, with every moment that passed, this hurricane, this raging storm that has that caught this boat up, that Jonah's on, this raging storm only increased in violence. It only got worse. Everything indicated in the verses said that it got worse and worse and worse as it went on. And, and no matter what the sailors did, there was no saving the ship. Instead of dropping to his knees though, in repentance toward God, what did Jonah do? He stood like a, mo a, a marble statue on the deck of this ship, telling these men that their only choice was to throw him overboard. And you know, the sailors avoided that at all costs. They tried other things. They tried this. They tried that. But it finally come down to that was the only option. 
And finally they did. In verse 15, they took this prophet of God, this servant of God, rebellious as he was, and took him up in their hands and threw him over the side of the boat. And then just as his body hit the water, calm. It just stopped. There was the seas quit its raging. There was no movement. And there goes Jonah. Jonah's sinking in the water. Down, down, down. And in verse 17 it says, I want us to focus in on that first word. Now. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. Now. Jonah may have been ready to die than to go to Nineveh. But God wasn't ready for Jonah to die. You know, there's a maxim about human survival. I don't know if you've heard this or not. But it's a good rule of thumb when it comes to human survival. A human can survive three weeks without food, three days without water, or three minutes Without air. So here's Jonah. He's sinking down, down, down into the water. Assure that he is only, his, his, own, his next thought will be standing before the Lord. He is going to die. And so as Jonah is sinking down the Mediterranean Sea, the seconds tick by. One minute. One minute, thirty seconds. Two minutes. Two minutes, thirty seconds. Click, click, click. The clock goes by. And he's going further and further. His lungs start to burn. His, his mind begins to be uh, in a frantic. It, it begins to race. And then at that moment, within three, that three minute margin, the great fish swallows Jonah. The putrid air trapped in the stomach of the fish, Jonah begins to go... Gulp into his lungs. God's timing is impeccable. God's margin of timing goes beyond three minutes. And even three seconds, God's margin of now. God's margin of timing goes down to the fractions of a second. I remember... When I was in college in the 1990s, way back so long ago, I was driving home from North Carolina and I was passing on I-24 headed towards Lookout Valley and uh, passing Chattanooga, downtown Chattanooga on I-24. And you know, as you come around and you begin that bent along the river, oftentimes traffic will get stopped up right there. And it'll be on you before you know it. I'm headed down I-24, can't wait to get home and make it to the football game. Amen. I'm going to make it to the football game, see all my high school buddies. Well, I come around that corner, and I was reaching down in the floorboard for my deaf leopard tape or something. I don't know what it was, but I was reaching in the floorboard to get a tape off the floorboard. When I come back up, all I saw was a parking lot. Cars just stopped ahead of me. I instantly pushed down on the brake as hard as I could. My wheels locked. You can feel that uneasy feeling with the back of your car doing this. And I, I can feel it. I'm still going. I, I'm, I, was, I was going 65, at least 65 miles an hour. And I am trying to stop as best I can. In front of me is a truck. I knew I was going to hit it. So what I did was I pulled in that little tiny 
that little tiny emergency lane right on the outside of the fast lane. So I skidded, trying to control my tires and bring it over there into that emergency lane. When I stopped, I was I could see the cab of the car, the truck that I just went around. I looked to my right immediately. It was a flatbed truck. And on the back end of that truck, they had a load of angle iron that stuck out about 10 feet off of the back of that truck with a little red flag on the end of it. God can come and save in an instant. If I'd have spent one more second looking for my deaf leopard tape in the floorboard, you wouldn't have a pastor. She wouldn't have a husband. They wouldn't have a father. I would have been impaled and be dead on the scene. That's just me. You can probably think, can you not? That near miss. That split second. It could have been you. Tell you what, it may not be as big as a whale, it may not be as big as a sperm whale coming to catch you, but I want you to understand God is still a God of impeccable time. Impeccable time. That's what we see in this moment of God's intervention. Psalm 31, 14, and 15. But I trusted in thee, O Lord, and I said, Thou art my God, my times are in thine hand. Your life is in His hands. You stomp your foot and rebel against God like a little toddler and you are in His hands. He swirls and controls all the events of your life around you. And He is a God of the moment of intervention. The moment of God's intervention. Second of all, the might of God's preparation. Now, in verse 17, now... The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah up. In preparation for this message, I, I, did, I did a lot of research on stories about whales. Obviously, you're going to come to Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, you're going to look at stories about whales. And there, there, there's all kinds of, of stories out there. A semi-historical, meaning that there is some suspicion that as to the credibility of the accounts. I mean, I, I read stories about a whaler off the coast of the um, New Hebrides, I think, or islands, or, and he was, they were whaling there, and the fishermen fell in the water, and later a whale was caught, and two days later, and they found the man inside of it. He's all, his hands and his face were all whitewashed by the acid of the fish. He came out blinded, a raving lunatic for several weeks. I've heard, I've heard those stories. I even read one story of an Arabian fisherman that was swallowed by a whale that took a boot knife from his boot and cut his way out of the way. All kinds of wild stories about, about people being swallowed by a whale. And many have talked about the possibilities and the likelihood of a fish swallowing a man. Well, you know, the gullet is... Only so big and that really couldn't. But this one could be a possibility. And, and well, you know, if the gastric juices were just sold and there was a right amount, it could possibly, you know, kind of bend, kind of bend stuff to make it seem plausible. But I mean, let's be honest here. 
It is this verse and the following verses that send the unbelieving world in a tailspin. You mean you believe that a whale, a fish swallowed a man and he lived for three days to tell about it? Some theologians and pastors may shy away from a, a literal reading of this verse. They may put some hyperbole to it. They, they may say, well, you know, we could, it could mean this and it could mean, it could mean that. that. It would be okay. Listen, that would be okay if this were Aesop's fables. If it were Stephen Hawking's uh, a, a Brief History of Time. We could say, well, you know. This is the Word of God. This is God's revelation to man. If you can't believe that God can send a fish to swallow a man, then please don't read any further. Because there's a lot more crazy stuff than that. I mean like blind people having their sight and lame people walking and people with leprosy condemned to a life of leprosy all of a sudden being cleansed and, and dead people getting up out of graves and walking around saying, hey, how you doing? I mean, there's all kinds of, 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 of wild and supernatural and miraculous things to come in the Bible. And so, I like what one of my friends, Eddie Ellison, said. I love this. Carrie, you'll love this. You can picture Eddie saying this. Yes. I believe it. In fact, if it said that Jonah was swallowed by a bluegill in a farm pond and stayed in its belly for three days and three nights before the bluegill vomited him up out into the pasture, I'd believe that too. This is the Word of God. There are some, listen, you cannot, you cannot find things in the Bible and try to take science and, and just, just do a a Heimlich maneuver on science to make it seem plausible that the Bible accounts could naturally come true. This is a supernatural book filled with supernatural things that God actually took, and God actually did, that actually took place. I don't, don't overlook the fact that this verse said that God prepared the fish. I think that's what people overlook. In verse number 17, now the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is Jehovah, that is Yahweh. The Lord had prepared a great fish. Now, that word prepared, it's interesting. The word prepared there indicates that it was appointed. It was selected, assigned to swallow Jonah. Do you know that there are some species of whale that live a lifespan of 200 years? Think about it. There could well be a whale in the ocean that was born 40 years before the Civil War. Right now. Living. 200 years. Now, if we can... I suspect that, a, that this, uh, this whale would continue to grow over that time, to grow to a size large enough to be able to hold a man. Could it be that over 200 years before Jonah ever was tipped over the edge of a boat, God pointed at a small calf of a whale and said, You're the one. You're the one I'm going to use. I need you. You're on assignment. And for the next 200 years, God's been preparing that fish. He is the God of all creation. He is the God of all power. Surely, 
He can do such a thing. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. The most credible evidence for the support of the truthfulness of this story came from the, <coughs> came from the very lips of the Lord Jesus. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We'll come back to this verse later. But if Jesus, the very Word of God, the, the living Word of God, believed the written Word of God, who are you to doubt it? Who are you to take the account of Jonah 1.17 and put it under the broken lens of a scientific telescope because it's broken to begin with because it sees no God that can interrupt physics and interrupt time and do what He pleases for His own will and His own birth. Who are you to put suspicion on this story? This story screams, Our God is able! Our God is able to do that which He pleases to do. The God who ordered this universe, who created and maintains this universe, is able to control this universe in accordance with His own will. You need to know that when you decide to do your own thing. You need to know that when you decide to live life as though God doesn't exist. Because He does. And he orders all things by the, by, his, by the will of his own knowledge according to his purposes and plan. And another thing, this, you know, there's millions of people on the earth and God sends one fish prepared from its birth to come and get one preacher to change their heart and mind. It proves anything. Proves God cares about you individually. It proves, it proves that He cares about how you live your life. How you agree with Him or disagree with Him. How you obey Him or disobey Him. Notice also, we see not only the moment of God's intervention, the might of His per preparation, but I want you to see the mercy of God's salvation. If you were reading the Bible for the first time, and knowing nothing, let's say you've never been to Sunday school, you've never heard the story of Jonah, it never crept into pop culture, you're just reading this stuff for the first time. And you came to Jonah 1.17. I can imagine, can you imagine how shocked you would be? I mean, you've, seen, you've read some pretty wild stuff. Rivers parting, you know, men being carried up in horses, uh, giants falling with a stone in their forehead by a little boy. I mean, you, you've seen all kinds of wild stuff up to this point. But this has to be the most unbelievable thing you've read thus far. Despite the fact that you have read about miracle after miracle, the middle picture of a man being swallowed by a fish just seems bizarre. Why such a strange turn of events? You know, I mean, God could have sent a giant air bubble. And put Jonah in and just kept him underwater for three days. Hey man, that has scared me enough to go, you know, I'll go to Nineveh. Why a whale? Why this story of a whale? In his sermon on Jonah in Moby Dick, remember there was, a, a, there was an old preacher, Father Maple, and he preaches a message about Jonah. And, and, and the captain there, he's in that service and hearing that message. Father Maple describes the teeth of the, this fish closing around Jonah like so many white bolts upon his prison. 
Do you think this whale was a prison? Do you think it was a punishment? Are we to see this scene as the final belt thrash of a whipping that broke the will of this rebellious prophet? Although I cannot imagine three days and three nights in the belly of a fish would be all that particularly pleasant experience, I believe that we are to look upon this experience as the mercy of God. Like I said before, being in the belly of the whale is a lot better than being fish food at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, the, the understanding of the sailors, they knew. They even prayed, God, don't lay the death of this man to our charge. They knew if they threw Jonah overboard, he was a dead man. Jonah must have realized this in his last moments. That he was going to end his life as the, in an abject rebellion against God and then suddenly stand before Him and give an account of His life. Can you imagine that? Just fist shaking, spitting, God, no! And then you die to stand before Him? Can you imagine that? Uh, this, this, was, this was Jonah's mindset. No, it was not a comfortable, uh, comfortable. Yes, it was traumatic. But yet it was the merciful means of God's deliverance. You may feel like that you're in the worst situation in your life. That the circumstances that have been thrust upon you to be some sort of punishment. When in reality, God is saving you. From even greater disaster. One preacher said it this way. You may feel hemmed in and held up by God. Trapped in a circumstance that feels like a prison. When in reality God is just squeezing you into a life vest. Meant to save you from yourself and from the enemy that would destroy you if he could. Listen. That, 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 that disease. That adversity. That problem in your marriage, that problem in your family, that thing that comes upon you, you may say, God, why did this happen? When in reality, God is saving you from making a worse fool of yourself to think you could do what you want to do without repercussions. God is sending deliverance to you. God is merciful. And that whale's belly you're in now may be making its way to the will of God just like it was for Jonah. I, I'm of a firm conviction that as soon as the whale swallowed Jonah, guess where he starts headed? Towards Nineveh. He knows, God knows what's happening in three days. He knows the closest beach to Nineveh to spew Jonah out. You don't know. God may take this trial, this circumstance... And be arriving you at a destiny of His will and His purpose and His plan and what He called you to do in the first place. Amen. The means, uh, the mercy of God's salvation. But I also want you to see the means of God's captivation. Now, it may be the means of God's deliverance, but that does not mean it's without its ability to get Jonah's attention. Now, Jonah has been running from God. We all know the story. He's running from God. God tried to get his attention with a storm. And he liked to have slept right through it. God tried to get his attention with the probing questions of the captain and the sailors. Jo Jonah got all pious and indignant and righteous on them. Theological even. 
The storm grew worse and Jonah just simply resolved to die. God's trying to get Jonah's head to look up and he's not doing it. And all the while, have you noticed through chapter number one, all the while, Jonah's not said one word to God. Not one. God talked to him in the beginning and that was it. He was gone. Not one word to God. But if you read chapter number two, chapter number two is all full of this. Jonah talking to God. Jonah praising God. Jonah praying to God. Jonah, get me out of here kind of thing. Jonah, Jonah is dealing with God in chapter number two. God was gaining Jonah's undivided attention. One preacher said that the belly of a fish is not a happy place to live, but it's a good place to learn. Man, that's good. You ever been in the belly of the whale? It's some of the best learning experiences of your life. Sometimes God has to take us to the bottom of the bottom in order for us to look up. Sometimes He's got to bring us to a place where there's no one left to talk to except Jesus. There's no place to turn except to Him. There's no one to blame. There's no one left to lie to. There's no one left to, by our side for God to finally get our attention. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to get your attention, lost, child, lost person out here? You're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ. I mean, really. What's it going to take for God to get your attention? Listen, the Lord is not going to give up on you just because you plug your fingers in your ear and you give up on yourself and say, uh, and say, uh, devil may care. I'm going to go towards hell. I'm going to do what I want to do. A devil may care what the preacher thinks. I'm going to live what I please and do what I want. Listen, God still cares about you. He cares too much. He loves you too much to leave you the same. He'll not let you languish in a state of adultery. He'll not let you languish in a state of pornography, in a state of apathy. He loves you too much for you to die in a sea of insurrection, in a sea of addiction, in a sea of deception. No, no. No matter how hard you think you are or how tough you imagine yourself to be, God has a storm. God has a whale. Custom fit for you to get your attention. To shake you from your, your past, your dreams of thinking you can live without God. And to push you face to face with Him. Don't get me wrong. I think this whale is an expression of God's love for Jonah even when Jonah didn't love himself. You can't tell me that at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, God didn't finally get Jonah's attention. Jonah, for the first time in his life, is really talking to God. 21 years of my life, I sit on pews just like this. I heard great men of God, some of the greatest preaching you'll ever hear. Some of those God-anointed preaching you'll ever hear. Preach behind different pulpits and churches that I was a member of and went with my family. 21 years of my life. I could tell, I would amaze people in college all I knew about the Bible, stories about the Bible, uh, things that were in the Bible, things that weren't in the Bible. I was lost as a ball in high winds. I knew a lot, 
I knew a lot about the Bible. I knew a lot of different things about it. But God had to corner me in a series of events. Phone call from my mom. She's matchmaking with a girl that just got saved at church. Ronnie, you'll never believe about this girl that got saved at church. God changed her life. She stood up and told everybody how that God had changed her and saved her and, and changed her life. But all I could think about, wait a minute, God does that in young people's lives? I thought that was just old people. That's what old people did. They went to church and pressed each other. You mean God actually does things in lives? Uh, I was uh, uh, playing basketball in South Georgia. We went to a hotel room. Uh, I, uh, uh, on the nightstand, went to pack my stuff after we lost the game. I got my stuff together. There's a track on the nightstand. All this I did for you. Jesus on the cross on the front of it. I don't know why in the world I pick up that track. Put it in my stuff. That's all I can think about on the way home. All this I did for thee. All this I did for thee. On the way home, on the way home uh, from college on spring break, had the compulsion like I had to have a beer. I just, I've got to have a beer. I'm 21. I can, I got to have a beer. I'm a, I can buy it now. I can do whatever I want. Pull over the gas station, bought me a beer, sipped it driving down the road, flung it out the window when I was done. All of a sudden, that haunting, that haunting compulsion, that haunting gnawing, continued to gnaw at my soul all weekend long. I need another one. I need to go get another one. On the way back, I sunk to the bottom of the bottom, just me and God in that car. All I could think about was I knew the direction I was going. I knew I was direct. I knew I was going to end up an alcoholic. I knew I'd end up on the streets of Atlanta, homeless, not a penny to my name. I knew that I would die with all the biblical knowledge of the wor- of the church in my head and stand before God in my sin and be cast into hell forever. God had to bring me to a low point. No, I wasn't. I wasn't in the gutter, but He had to show me where the gutter was. You understand what I'm saying? before I'd ever come to my senses and put my faith and trust in Jesus. God knows how to get our attention. He knows how to captivate your attention where you're only looking to Him. When the wife walks out and the children are gone, mom and dad couldn't give a rip about you and you, you kneel in that living room and you say, God, is only you're the only one that'll listen to me now. Sometimes that's what God's got to do. A friend of mine, preach a friend of mine, preach powerfully, Sunday after Sunday in ministry, God's using him and people started playing with sin, started committing adultery, started, to, uh, started taking drugs again. God had just saved him, saved him out of all that, saved him out of prison, got right back in the same thing. Finally, God had to bring him to a point where no more lies. Nobody believed a word come out of his mouth anymore. Nobody believed anything. He couldn't go home. He couldn't go. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do that. Finally, God had to take him all the way down to Florida and pin him up. With just him and God for him to listen. Listen to me very closely. God knows how to get your attention. God knows how to get our attention. Last of all, the miracle, not only the the means of God's captivation, but the miracle of God's resurrection. I mentioned earlier in this message about Jesus had spoken about Jonah. It's Matthew 12, 40 and 41. Now these verses are spoken in the context of a sign. The enemies of Jesus said, why don't you give us a sign? If you're the Messiah, give us a sign. 
Jesus said to them, this is the full reading, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was in the for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This was a sign as to the identity of Jesus. Back up from what you see Jonah, the wayward prophet in the belly of a whale, and see it in the context of what Jesus is speaking to. We know later that Jesus is referring to His death. That He would die on a cross, a butchered and bloody, die in humiliation and shame. That He would be taken from that cross, wrapped lovingly in linens and placed in a borrowed tomb and sealed up with a stone. And there the body of Jesus would remain three days and three nights motionless. Not a breath was inhaled. Not a a motion in His body. He was dead. But on that third day, on that Easter Sunday morning, the eyes of the Lord Jesus began to open. His fingers began to twitch. And He he slid to the side of that stone-cold bed in that sepulcher, rose up as the stone was rolled away. He walked out of that grave alive and alive forevermore. And He did that for you. And He did that for me. He set up off that t- uh, out of that tomb and proclaimed himself alive to the world. Just like he said he would. We see pictured before us in Jonah's account of what took place. The resurrection of Jesus Christ without which you cannot be saved. Good men have died for others. But none of them was raised to life again like the Lord Jesus. Giving you indisputable proof that He is Messiah. That He's God in the carnage. That He should be bowed down to and worshipped and followed and obeyed. Romans 5, 9 and 10. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the blood, by the death of His Son... Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Saved to life eternal by the resurrection of Jesus. This gives us all of the picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To close. You know, there's one final aspect of this. This was like a kind of point that didn't fully develop. So it didn't make it to the points, but I'll put it in the close, all right? You know, there's one place, one, one direction we did not see the faithfulness of God from. And that is from the vantage point of the Ninevites in the background. You know the people that God started this out with? Their sin has come up before me, Jonah. I want you to go down there and preach to them. Here in the background are these people so lost in their sin that God is going to wipe them off the face of the planet. But in mercy and love, God went out of His way to send a fish to swallow a sinking preacher, drive that fish toward the shores of Nineveh, spit that preacher alive and ready and willing to relay God's message so that the people of Nineveh might be saved. Do you know what God went through the trouble of doing for you? 
Because you didn't know from your right hand to your left hand. You didn't know how to please God. You don't know how to be saved by God. You couldn't, have, you couldn't be saved by God. God went through the trouble of sending His only begotten Son, that precious Son, who in Him was no sin. He became the Lamb of God to shed His blood on Calvary's cross. He took your place. God went through the trouble of sending His Son to die in your sin, to be crucified and give up the ghost, buried three days and three nights, risen again to give you indisputable proof that He is all that He claims to be. And then, centuries later, interrupted a 27-year-old dad, just got married, setting out on life to be the most successful engineer that I could possibly be. And God puts His hand on me in 2001, July 22nd, and says, I want to send you. And all these years, down through the years, brought me to this point. He went out through the trouble to send his son for his son to die, be raised again, put his hand on somebody to bring them here this morning and tell you that you can trust Jesus Christ and be forgiven of your sin. That your sin that has come up before him time and time again can be forgiven today. A message that calls for you to turn from the broad road of sin and destruction and turn to Christ believing in him uh, in faith. Come to Jesus today. He is the faithful Father that's fishing for you. That's looking for you. Come, make it right. If you're wayward, if you're running from God, come, make it right with Him today. If you're lost today, come to Jesus. He's done so much to bring you to Himself. Come, make things right. Be saved today. Stop running. Yield to God. Whatever He's called you to do. I, I Listen, I tell you right now. You'll have an immense, more joy and fulfillment doing the distasteful thing that you think, that you think is distasteful, that God called you to do instead of trying to make things real nice in the belly of a whale. Trying to hang pictures on a whale's belly wall and Set the recliner just so and fix the TV up where this whale's belly's not too bad. That's not bad at all. I can, I can make do with this. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Don't sell God's command short. Don't run from God. He has a way of getting our attention. Even when it takes us to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. Let's stand to our feet, Kevin, if you'll come. The song of invitation. God is a faithful fisherman. He is fishing. He is a fishing father that loves you. And is drawing you to himself. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, do you know him as Lord and Savior? Come. Come. The invitation is open. The day of grace is upon you. God's message has been sent. Come. Receive. Turn away from a life of living sin and self and put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you're running from God and you know it, you know it. You're running from God's call. You're running from His commands. You're running from, you're running from whatever it is. Listen, He knows how to get your attention. Get out while the getting's good. I'm convinced if He'd have bowed down on that ship and said, God, I'll do whatever you want. I'll make these men turn back to Nineveh right here. 
the storm would have stopped and stopped and he would have saved himself that ride in the whale's belly. But some people, it's got to be hard-headed. We've got to take you to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom to save you. You come. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And I pray you'd speak to hearts this morning as you've already spoken to mine. Father, I pray people would get right with God that are running from you. God, I pray that people are lost would see what, what you've done for them. What great purpose you have for them. God, you'd come. They would come and trust you as Lord and Savior. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand Podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.